The scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and 4, 10 to 17. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard... I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rachel. 
want to remind you, as we started last week, uh, we are resuming our Q&A, question and answer time, immediately after the ser uh, sermon. And so you can uh, jot down notes maybe for yourself. Think about things uh, that come to your mind, uh, questions you might have, things that aren't clear, uh, things that you want further guidance on. Um, and so we'll do Q&A right after the sermon for further learning. But first, let's pray and let's ask for God's help. Who's a God like you who hears the cries of your people? who draws near to your people in their time of need, and we need you. So come, as you always have done throughout all of redemptive history, and even now, draw near to the weak and lowly, the downtrodden, the needy. And come and save us, O God, and bring to us your word, a word of hope, of challenge, of life, and show us Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I used to build a lot of fires. I'm a small ones, about this big, out of brush and dried up leaves and pine needles, you know, stuff you could find pretty easily in the desert where I grew up. Talked about that a few weeks ago. I was around 12 years old when I developed this, shall we call it a habit? Lighting fires in the backyard or the vacant field next door, in case you're wondering. Yeah, it was a hazard. Totally ill-advised, just as many things in a young boy's life can be. And if you're also wondering, no, I have no idea where my parents were. <laughs> but here I was, nearly burning down the neighborhood every time growing my pyromania, I don't know what that was, that impulse, and I've seen a few small fires in the desert, in the wilderness, of course, but then I've never seen what Moses saw that day, one day, in fact, no one ever had, and no one ever has since. This is a story, right? Moses was 80 years old by this point in the story. And a lot of things had changed in his life. He was no longer a ruler in Egypt, as we had left him last week when we were reading the first two chapters of this book of Exodus. Forty years earlier, he had killed an Egyptian overseer who was beating a Hebrew slave. Out of fear of being found out, Moses ran away, far away. And now he was living as a refugee in the wilderness of Midian, where he got married, had a son, and then settled down as a shepherd for 40 years. Quite a change in life. Until one day, this shepherd notices a, a strange sight, a bush that was on fire. We're told with flames of fire coming from within it, but that somehow wasn't burning up. It was the angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, we're told in verse 2. And of course it was. Whenever God shows up in the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Exodus, he commonly appears in the form of fire. That's our first clue. And when Moses went to go and take a closer look, he hears the very voice 
of God. Verse 4, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God was ready to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. He had heard his people's cry for help and remembered his covenant with them. The exodus was about to begin. And through this burning bush, God was calling Moses to lead his people to freedom. I have seen indeed the misery of my people in Egypt, God says in verse 7. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And with those words, along with the rest of Moses' exchange with God, we learn some things about what you might call calling. Exploring this topic together, this topic of calling, seems timely doing so at this time of year. Maybe you're someone that's seeking purpose or direction for the new year. Maybe you need to know that God is calling you in 2022. Now, let's slow down here for just a second. You might say, well, what do you even mean by that word calling? The word calling is often used, even in the church, to refer to a person's job or career. And even more narrowly, it's used often only in regards to roles that have a distinctly transcendent quality, such that you might think that I, as a pastor, have a calling or even a higher calling, but not you. But in fact, the Bible tells us that every follower of Jesus is a recipient of his call, his invitation, his word. Uh, this word calling, this notion, its meaning is much bigger and more dynamic than we're used to. But what does it mean? Theologian and author Os Guinness writes this about calling and gives a helpful definition. Calling, he says, is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. Let me read that one more time. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. There's a lot in that definition, of course. Let's try to unpack some of it in our time remaining. 
See, we find in today's passage two kinds of calling. Our first and primary calling is to God himself. Notice the very first thing that God says to Moses. What was it? Moses, Moses. He calls us by name. Then God tells Moses a little bit about himself. He's holy. Verse 5, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. But he's not only holy, he's also a God who draws near to suffering people and binds himself to them in love. Verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I've been in your family. I've known you a long, long time. That's the first thing that God tells Moses. This is crucial, friends. Our primary calling is to belong to God. First and foremost, we are called to someone, not to somewhere or something. That means your very first priority before God this year, as always, is to know God, not to do things for Him. It's to know His love and to be known by Him and to be transformed by His love. It's to hear his voice, a God who is near to you, a God who draws you into covenant promised relationship with himself. Though you are weak, though you are a sinner, though you are broken like me, calling you by name, Sarah, Sarah, Emily, Emily, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rachel, Rachel. What can you, friends, do this year, starting this week perhaps, to respond to this primary calling? What can you do, knowing God and being transformed by his love? It might be engaging in regular practices of meeting this God to whom you belong, spending each morning with him as we've been trying to do with the Daily Prayer Project. It might be making coming to church a regular routine, a committed routine every Sunday morning without fail as best as you can in order to be refreshed and restored in the gospel of grace and the loving knowledge of God. It might be making sure that you're in fellowship with God's people, fighting through the barriers and the uncertainties to say we must remain in friendship. We must get time together and remind ourselves of the love of God, lest our souls shrivel and die. We need each other for life. What can you do at the start of this year to respond to this primary calling? Of course, some of you might feel far from God right now. Or maybe you're only beginning a search for God or a higher power. Maybe that's how you're thinking it through. And maybe it's because you find yourself in a season of confusion or disorientation. You know, the pandemic has done that to nearly all of us, hasn't it? But listen, don't forget that oftentimes, as it did with Moses, the call to Christ often comes in the wilderness. Moses once lived in the palace of 
Pharaoh, in the halls of significance and power and comfort, but he left it all behind, and it was only then that God showed up with fire. God's call often comes in the wilderness, in seasons of chaos and confusion, uncertainty and dependency. That means if that's describing you right now, you might be ripe to hear the loving, penetrating call of God. Moses was weak when God appeared. A sinner like you and me, a a runaway in fact, an exile, a refugee. God meets us always in our weakness in the wilderness. Maybe you're perfectly primed this very moment to receive Christ's call to know and to belong to him and to know his love. Will you respond to him then? Here I am. If our primary calling is to belong to God, then our secondary calling is to serve God. See, we respond to God's love by seeking to serve him, to live all of life in light of him, and to do so in specific ways. After addressing Moses by name, revealing himself personally to Moses, reassuring Moses of his covenant love, and only after doing those things, God then calls Moses into his service, doesn't he? Verse 9. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Friends, we are the sent people of God. God, in his love, sends you out into the world in his service. So we got to think, how is God sending you, calling you in this second sense? Moses, of course, was called to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Now, that's pretty specific. It's also super unique. You're not called to do that. Hate to break it to you, right? But it's important to know that more fundamentally, Moses was being called to be an agent and a vessel of the heart of God and the mission of God. Because what Moses was being sent out to do was to rescue the oppressed because God is a God of the oppressed. He was being sent out to be an agent of liberation and freedom because God is a God, not of slavery, but freedom. And so he might be calling you also to these more fundamental attributes of his character, calling you to reflect them to the world. It might be through your job, what you do for a living. It might simply be through things that you put your time to, even without pay or other ways that you live your life and devote your loves. The ways that you might be called to a special way of making use of your singlehood in the coming year, loving others in community. Or maybe not singlehood, maybe it's your calling to marriage or to parenthood, loving those in your immediate family. Maybe it's a calling to use your gifts in the arts or maybe in administration. It might be ways in which you might beautify the world to give images, visible images, of the glory of God. There is, of course, the calling to love neighbor, especially those that are most needy. The call to address poverty and slavery and hopelessness in life. 
the way we're called, even all of us are called to be a friend, especially to the friendless. The way that we're called to use our various gifts and interests to be teachers and doctors and social workers and store clerks and people that are neighbors to those that they rub shoulders with. The ways that we are called to be agents of the heart and the mission of God. See, friends, I think the reason why it's important for us to think in these terms is that it helps to reframe, reframe the things that we do daily with this biblical notion of calling. I think it invites us to a different kind of attitude of mind and heart, a different kind of purposefulness and direction. In other words, you get up in the morning and you're not just trudging through another day that I have to do that same old thing, but rather you're waking up to respond to the call of God. And you're heading out to these various things, which of course are not always easy, and certainly often are mundane and rote. We need that grace of the perseverance of God to get through some days, don't we? But we understand that each day we're not just executing or trying to knock down a never-ending to-do list, but we're responding to a transcendent calling, and more than a calling, we're responding to a caller, our Savior himself. And before we move off this point, just a few additional lessons I want to offer you about this secondary calling to live all of life in service to God. First, sometimes God does call us to spectacular things, but more often he calls us to the ordinary. I know, I know, Moses, I mean, he did some awesome things. He was sent out to do something pretty amazing, confront Pharaoh, set captives free, part the Red Sea. But don't you forget, after the initial fanfare, when the Israelites were trudging through the wilderness for 40 years, Year after year after year, as part of his leadership over the Israelites, what was Moses doing? He was making countless administrative decisions that were so mundane they didn't even get recorded in the Bible. He helped identify food and water for hangry people, grumbling the entire time. He judged civil cases meaning he was helping to resolve interpersonal conflict. He led projects of yarn weaving for the building of the tabernacle. Uh, he led people on long hikes through the desert for 40 years. Mundane, ordinary, oftentimes, usually, is the call of God. Second, beware of the deceptions of worldly ambition. Be careful not to confuse calling for mere social climbing or career advancement. Remember what led up to this burning bush moment for Moses? He was in the court of Pharaoh and he walked away from it all. See, the calling of God does not always entail an upward ascent in the eyes of the world. Sometimes it looks a little downhill, but faith given to us by God can enable us to embrace this. I mean, listen to the words of Hebrews 11. 
in referring to this very moment in Moses' life. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward in Christ. Beware the deceptions of worldly ambition. Sometimes the way up in God's kingdom is the way down. Third, wrongly approached, calling actually can be burdensome even enslaving. We know this. I hope it's not true, but I wouldn't be surprised if a few of you listening to this so far might feel a little burdened. Oh, calling, work, responsibility. I hope that's not the case, but it often is. Before you know it, there, there can be creeping up upon you, even something you feel in your back, as I often do, the pressure to do something to make something of yourself, to perform, to prove your personal worth to this world. But remember, I mean, hear this good news. You need to hear this. Remember, God didn't say to Moses, I'm sending you to make a name for yourself. Rather, God said, I know you by name, Moses, Moses. Your name is already made. Now I send you. Do you see the order? You got to remember the order. The order is crucial. This is gospel living. Calling, rightly handled, and rightly re uh, received should be a project of liberation and love. And this is why it's so important to keep in mind this fourth idea, that calling ultimately depends on Christ's obedience, not yours. I mean, do you know actually what the main meaning of this passage of Scripture is? In fact, it's not that you need to be like Moses, responding to God's call and going out. It's not that you need to be like Moses, but rather that Jesus already was. Jesus was a new kind of Moses, the perfect Moses, in fact. He was the one who was called, who was eternally known and loved and called by the Father by name, who was called and sent to serve as the rescuer of God's people delivering them, us, from the oppression of sin and death. Jesus, who didn't resist, but who responded to that call and joyfully entered into what theologians call a covenant of salvation, a, an agreement from before time began between God the Father and God the Son, that the Son would one day enter into our world, born of a woman, taking on the form of a human being, living the life that we should have lived in perfect love, bearing the sufferings for our sins that we should have suffered doing so in our place, and dying the death that we should have died 
one who infinitely and eternally belonged to God, but would suffer the judgment of estrangement from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out on the cross as he bore our judgment. And he did so that we might finally, fully, and forever belong to God. And he did this to lead us into the ultimate exodus, freedom from our lifelong slavery to sin and to self, and freedom finally to serve our God. Don't you see, friends? It's only when we actually see Jesus in this passage that we can respond freely to anything else about our own sense of calling. This is how Jesus' calling empowers you to find freedom and joy in yours. Will you see Jesus today? But maybe you're scared or hesitant or nervous to follow God's call. I remember years ago when figuring out whether or not to start up this church with the help of many, many other people. I remember being hesitant, even fearful of my calling to pastor this congregation, to be a church planter. Maybe there's something that's already come to your mind earlier in this sermon, talking about the calling of God to be an agent and a vessel of the heart and the mission of God in the world through your workplace or through a relationship or in your neighborhood or in your home in some kind of fashion. Maybe you're sensing, oh yeah, I, I think there's something on my radar that's emerging, but you're like, oh no, oh no. Something that makes you just hesitate, something that makes you nervous or maybe even terrified. Moses was. I mean, maybe that itself is a little consolation. Moses was. Four times he hums and haws and makes a whole bunch of excuses. Who am I to confront Pharaoh? What if the Israelites reject me? What if nobody believes me? I'm not that great at public speaking, God. Finally, he just says it straight out in verse 13. Please send someone else. It's almost refreshing by that point. Please send someone else. I don't want to do it. You know, reading this passage for years and years in my own walk with God, I used to think that Moses was just being whiny. You know, and you sit there reading this, and you're like, come on. You can do better. I certainly could. <laughs> but no, I think I'm more sympathetic now. I mean, God was sending him, right? to confront the most powerful, bloodthirsty man in the world, Pharaoh. See, Moses understood the impossibility of the task. It felt like a suicide mission. So he was like, hold on. And maybe you feel a little element of impossibility as you look at the call of God before you. Maybe you feel that way about whatever calling you're perceiving from God. It might be to follow the heart of God into a hard neighborhood. 
It might be to love an unlovable person this year. It might be to trust God and assume enormous financial risk, perhaps. It might mean following God and losing the respect of a loved one. What is it for you? Well, listen, how does God respond to Moses and his fears and hesitations? What does God say? What does God do? We're closing with this. He offers, God offers Moses reassurance for his calling. That's what the whole second half, second, last third of this reading is all about. God reassuring Moses to get him on board. But notice what God doesn't say to reassure Moses is, hey, don't worry, Moses, you're awesome, dude. You're so special. You've got it. You've got it in you, man. You can do this. He doesn't say that. He says in verse 12, I will be with you. That's a different word, but that's the word we need. Moses says, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you're sending me to the lion's den. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Friends, whatever intimidates you, whatever looks fearsome and threatening to you in pursuit of God's calling, hear him say to you, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. You will not be alone. And not only so, what kind of God is it that promises to be with you? In verse 13, Moses worries out loud, look, if I go to the Israelites and I say God has sent me, and they ask, oh yeah, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God answers with these most amazing words. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Oh, I wonder if you know this. You've just heard God reveal for the first time in scriptures his covenant name, his personal name that he gave uniquely to those he calls his own, his people. I am who I am. What kind of name is that? What that really is is just a doublet of the verb to be. And the point there is that I just am. Nobody made me. I am. I'm never ending. I am. I never started. No past, no present, no future. I always am. You see, you actually found already in the outset of this story a visual of now the verbal revelation of God's nature in the fire that would never burn out. You see the glory and the radiance of God, the all-consuming fire that he is. And it would never be extinguished. It always would be. Behold the fire that shouted out, I am. And God gave then a name that we often translate Yahweh to encapsulate all of this, just sort of a, an abbreviated form of I am who I am, because that's a little awkward. Dear, I am who I am, right? The Lord Yahweh, that we often translate in our English translations, the Lord, usually in small caps. I don't know if that was captured in the printout 
above, but that's why you find these small caps lords all over the Old Testament. That's a translation of Yahweh, which is an abbreviated version of I am who I am. This name of God, which pastor and author Phil Riken has written about saying, like the burning bush, God never runs out of fuel. His glory never dims. His beauty never fades. He always keeps burning bright. God does not get his energy from anyone or anything outside of himself. He's completely self-existent and self-sufficient in his eternal being. He never needs to ask anyone for help. That's why he is the helper. Because there's no thing that you're about to face that he can't help you with. He never has any needs. That's why he can meet your needs. Because there's no need that you have that will ever exhaust his resources. He's the eternal one, the never changing one. So forever reliable is he. He's the ultimate source of life, the creator and sustainer of all things. Don't you see, oh hesitant one, oh nervous one, or fearful one, before the very call of God, who this God is who promises to be near and with you in Christ. I am who I am. This is not just an abstract theological idea for you. This is life in the first weeks of a new year. Because in revealing himself as the great I am, God was offering Moses and us reassurance for his calling, reassurance in the face of his many hesitations and fears. So you might be saying, but I'm not really good at that, God. I feel I'm not sure. God says to you, I am who I am and I am with you. You say, but I, I'm really tired right now. Do you know the year I just got out of and the way this one's already begun? I'm tired and I don't feel like I have any remaining strength to love, to live. And God says to you, I am who I am and I am with you. And you say, but if, but if I go there and if I do that, I feel weak. I feel foolish. I am who I am and I am with you. And you say, I might be rejected. You say, I might lose everything if I follow your call. And God says to you and me, I am who I am, and I am with you. I am everything you need. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am Jesus. I am who I am, and I am yours. Let's pray. We need you, oh great I am. We need you. And we thank you that you've revealed yourself in this way for our reassurance, for our strength, for our comfort in the face of the challenges of your calling. We pray that all this would begin 
with our call to belong to Christ, all that you've done, Jesus, for us, help us to remember your invitation to know you, to be loved by you, to allow ourselves to be loved by you, forgiven by you, lifted up in life by you, to be moved from darkness to light by you. Our first calling, start us there. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.